Hey, Carl here to say that Music to Code By is now an app called Music to Flow By. Now you can listen to the tracks on your phone with offline capability. The first three tracks are free, and the entire catalog is available by subscription with a new track arriving every month. If you purchase the complete collection before October 24th, you can get a big discount. Check your inbox for an email from carl at pwop.com for the code, or just go to musictoflowby.com for all the links. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we just got back from Europe and talking to Sean Wildermuth. He's going to be here. It should be a hoot. Boy, are our arms tired. Yeah, yeah, old <laughs> joke. Uh, I take it you had a good flight, uneventful? Well, we all survived, right? Of course, we we were coming back in late September. This comes out in late October. Yeah. So, was dodging hurricane season. I, I, I flew over it because no reason to stop on the East Coast, but you live there. Yeah, it was just, a, the guy said it was a little blustery. Nice. <laughs> but we landed fine. You know, I was almost more concerned because they were threatening to route us through North Korea. So, that was, uh, I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, a little bit of a long way. You know, that great North Korean hub of, I don't know, Pyongyang. Like, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, all right. That's all I'm going to say about that. That's all you're going to do with that. Okay. We're just a little freaked out over here in the United States. Let's just leave it at that. I can imagine why. Yeah. Uh, let's get started with Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Well, uh, this is something that has been around for a while, but I hadn't seen one, and I thought it was so cool, I'd feature it after nice. I saw it. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the speakers in the speaker's lounge at Dev Intersection, you probably know who it is, but I had never met him before and didn't ask his name, um, pulled out this thing that looked like a big iPad Pro. However, yeah. it was a Sony digital paper notepad. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, if you go to 1488.pwop.me, you'll see this uh, digital paper notepad. It looks like a Kindle. In other words, like a big Kindle. The screen kind of has that look about it. And that's essentially what it is. It takes no electricity when you're reading it, but, um, you know, when you're writing on it and all that, it does. So, they are doing the electronic ink thing. Yeah, electronic ink. But the idea is that with the pen, you can just write and then it turns that into notes. Like, it does the recognition and turns it into text and you can print it and make pdfs of it and search it and all of that stuff so it is for people who like to write you know with a pen and don't like all the other stuff don't need all the other stuff that's involved with computers and keeping them up and tablets and all that this seems like a really good idea yeah you know sony made one of the very first ebook readers anywhere i bought one but, you know, Kindle's kind of ended that market in some respects. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's more about the supply chain than it is even about the product. So, it's cool to see that Sony's gone somewhere. There. Oh, and it's like 13 inches in diameter. So, this is like it's the big. size of a piece of paper. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Also, you know, Kindle is read-only and I think you can maybe do a little browsing on it or something. But it's not something that you're going to write on. Yeah, so. take a pen to. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, Star Trek, isn't it? It is kind of. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Well, who's talking to us today, Richard Campbell? Grabbed a comment off of show 1323, the one we did back in July of 2016 with one Sean Wildermuth. We were talking a lot of ASP.NET Core. Of course, that was in the early days of Core, shortly after it first shipped and was going through many convulsions. Mm-hmm. 
and we had been part of that event as well and had humanitarian toolbox, which Sean helped heavily on. In fact, this comment actually comes from uh, a relation to humanitarian toolbox. This is from John Fleener. Comments from about a year ago. He says, you guys interview Pluralsight presenters all the time. It would be cool if they would choose an open source project like Humanitarian Toolbox as example code. Hmm. They could improve the project as well as explain their presentation topics with real world examples. Also, having lots of developers being trained and guided by experts through the project's code base could provide an on-ramp for other contributors to the project they pick. Thanks for years of education and laughter. Huh. Okay. It's an interesting thought, John, and certainly we'll, we'll talk a little to Sean about it as well. I do know that Talking to trainers, especially not necessarily Pluralsight curriculum, but just trainers, they love the idea of using a project like Already to talk about core. The problem is that you have to rewrite the curriculum every time because the project keeps moving. Right. So it's uh, it's hard to do, really do repeatability around a lot of those things that makes uh, courseware effective. But uh, it is an interesting question. I, I think it's a big battle for anybody trying to teach uh, to create good examples. And maybe the best thing to do is to use code that's already out there. Agreed. So, John, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We turn them into PDFs and occasionally release a book. And then write all over them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's bring Sean Wildermuth back to the show one more time. He's been on many, many times. Officially, Sean has been tinkering with computers and software since he got a VIC-20 back in the early 80s. Woot. And you know, Sean, I really appreciate that you didn't say, you know, you've been programming for 10 years because next year you'll have to change that bio. Um, anyway, as a Microsoft MVP since 2003... He also is involved with Microsoft as an ASP.NET Insider and Client Dev Insider. He's the author of over 20 Pluralsight courses, written eight books, an international conference speaker, and one of the Wilder Minds. Wilder or Wilder Minds? Uh, either. Okay. The Wilder Wilder Minds. You can reach him at his blog <laughs> at wildermuth.com. W-I-L-D-R-M-U-T-H.com. Welcome back, Sean. Excited to be here. We, you're the exciting one, man. You travel all over the world. Now you've got a podcast going where you're getting people's stories. What the heck have you been up to, man? Uh, lately, I've been uh, 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 trying to pass a kidney stone. Oh, Rock on. There's Ouch. some fun. Are we going to see that on video? You are. I'm, I'm hoping to, to, to get the whole thing. Uh. 200,000 people just winced at the same time. <laughs> All right, maybe not at the same time. But. And if you didn't, it's because you don't know how much pain we're talking about. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, today's show should be very uh, uh, delightful. Colorful? Since I'm on Percocet. Oh, okay. <laughs> happy Sean is happy. Happy Sean. Happy we Sean. may get some great quotes out of this for our blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Uh, actually, what I've been up to lately is I'm working on a on a film called the Hello World Film. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Now tell us about your Hello World podcast from which this came out. Right. It's 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 sort of related. The podcast is uh, both of you guys have been very gracious to be on, and it's about how people got started. So we spend half an hour hearing you know sometimes old man stories or ways that you know i didn't even know how people got started uh, hmm. so it's, it's a lot of fun uh but only 
I can only have people on one, so I wasn't thinking ahead at, at first. <laughs> <laughs> you only get their background story so many times, right? Like yeah. one is about it. Yeah, one one is about it. Yeah, <laughs> and we're we're getting close to wrapping that podcast up. We're ending after a hundred episodes. Nice, That's cool. Yeah, so we're at I think ninety two now. So uh, probably by the end of the year we'll be done. Yeah. Okay. So the movie. Oh, the movie is about software developers. You know, no surprise there. But I'm trying to demystify what what software development is for people that aren't in the industry. So, right. sort of explain to parents and spouses and children, you know, that we're not just quote into computers. That right. you know, is this is why uh, we spend three days at a time locked in our rooms with you know Mountain Dew and happy. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And we're also going to be discussing some of the problems of diversity in uh, in software development. Oh, that's good. Which is a topic uh, that's, that's close to my heart. Yeah, definitely. And that uh, movie will be out probably t- late 2019, early 2020. Wow, that sounds no. great. Yeah, 2020. That didn't sound right in my in my mouth for some reason. Yeah, it just seems like a long time away, but it's just not, right? We're halfway through it's 2017, not. so, you know, 30 months? Yeah. It's scary. Yeah, as soon as you say it that way, then you're scared to death. Like, oh my goodness, how the heck am I going to get all this done? All right. <laughs> so, we're here to talk about Vue.js, and I think probably a good place to start is to disambiguate what Vue.js does from the other frameworks, the other UI frameworks, uh, like React, and then some of the bigger frameworks like Angular. So, Vue.js is, to me, an interesting thing uh uh, i've been kind of railing against the behemoths uh that require all this sort of pre-processing i sort of um i long for you know back to the sort of knockout and angular one days where i could actually just write javascript and include a library and go about my business yeah um we've we've entered this world of webpack and pre-compilers and and uh uh just this stack of compilers in order to get to the JavaScript that we have to have in the browser. And that's frustrated me because um, when you're building a monolithic enterprise app, Angular and and React, I think both fit into that space really well, right? You're really uh, writing what everyone everyone likes to call these single-page applications, which are you know, really, uh, VB six applications written in JavaScript. Right? <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, and just as maintainable. Well, I mean, you're, what you're saying is they, they're stateful, you know, they have things that change. They have events that happen. You're not completely redrawing the screen every time. Correct. Correct. And, uh, you know, the communication is maybe a little different in that they're calling web services in the back end, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of craft to making this long lived in the browser, application yeah which is a lot different than you know traditionally on the web and so i spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get that experience when i was enhancing the web when i was writing for the traditional web not for you know the large enterprise uh um, data manipulation application sure sure you know so the the contact page on a blog or the registration page on a uh, on a code camp site and um even using angular 2 at the time i guess it's angular 4 now there was so much ceremony in getting it to work uh, I, it, it's been kind of interesting because uh 
to combat the complexity of these systems, they decided that the solution to this was to add another tool in the tool chain so everyone now has their own CLI, right? Yeah. That's not complicated uh, so, at all. Mm. No. No. You can simplify it by, we'll just code gen this giant lump of code. Um, you know, it, it, it harkens back to the complaints about the wizard systems in uh, early uh, Visual Studio and certainly in Visual C++ before then and how people railed against it. And as usual, everything that's bad comes, you know, it's a cycle. I guess another way to look at that is if you think about modern software, it's all built on so many layers that we don't think about that, yeah. you know, if this is just one more layer and removing it, you know, uh, I guess the question is, do you feel the pain of that, of all those layers or not? Right. I mean, one of the things about early VB was you didn't feel the pain of all those layers. It was, yeah. you're, you know, they had abstracted so much stuff away that we could actually just get stuff working. And that was good. But maybe is it just because we know what's going on under the hood that we're so distraught about it? Or are you actually feeling the pain? It's hard to say uh, where Angular is now. And I can't speak as much about React because I haven't done as much of it. Um now that we have the Angular CLI, a lot of the pain has gone away because a lot of it was in setting up the project. Right. And CLI can really eliminate a lot of that. But there's still there's still some biases in, in, in Angular towards these large applications. And so that's when I started looking around and I looked at a bunch of different frameworks to sort of find where's the middle ground here? Where's the... Mm. I want to drop a library in. I want to do some data binding and, and, and validation and some other things like that and just go about my business for less than, you know, having to wait for uh, uh, 90 seconds for a pre-compilation to happen. <laughs> um, you know, I just w want to write code. Before we get there, let's talk about React because React, I don't put in the same um, silo as, as Angular. Just because it, it seems more focused on the just the the um, presentation layer, isn't that true? That is true, but I'm talking about sort of React plus Flux and the, their ecosystem, not just oh, React I see. itself. I see. So React is very focused on that, and I I say this with some reluctance because I know uh, I'm going to turn some people off by saying this. I do it. Really do it. <laughs> yeah, I have a really hard time with uh, uh, JavaScript plus markup and then a magic compilation step to make it inline strings. Uh, okay. It just, it turns my stomach a little. And when I first saw it, I, I uh, talked to some people I trust in sort of that community and was like, am I just being the old guy who doesn't like change? Right. And yeah. I eventually came around to no, I, I there's some genuine... Uh, reasons for not liking this 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 process um i think it's more of a question of style and how you like to develop because it, certainly react can help you build certain kinds of applications really well mm. i just i i feel pained trying to combine it all in, into into one you know jsx file it makes me uncomfortable <laughs> okay and and again it's be, there are genuine reasons you say what are some of those reasons yeah, the reasons uh, that I found was this this notion of sort of maintainability. It also meant that I felt like you we, we were tying together the uh, business logic and the UI together again, mm -hmm. 
which uh, you know, in in some ways, was a, a gift to software development when we could do that with things like VB. But I feel like we've moved away from trying to from keeping them so glued together to having some separation between presentation and business logic. Well, sure. And React on the face of it, it doesn't encourage that. Doesn't mean you can't do that. Doesn't mean a lot of people aren't doing that. But it certainly doesn't encourage that behavior, and uh, that's what makes me nervous. I mean, for testability, that's that's a, a big deal. But um, so, are you saying you can't do a, a sort of MVVM architecture with React? You can. It's just not the, at least from my experience with it, it is not the. Uh, uh, it's not. You have to go outside of the React box to do it. I see. Yeah, and a lot of people are. A lot of people are like, well, if you don't like JSX, you can use React and not have to use the precompiler and mm. not have to have your inline templates, and that's fine. But that means that I'm learning, uh, I'm learning a a framework, and then I have to learn how to work around the framework. And, yeah, and then you know, why why am I bothering? Right, is is kind of my notion uh, there. Um, Vue.js, on the other hand, is is more closely it reminds me more of uh, um, somewhat the older ecosystems where it was, I can just write this. And what's interesting um, about the way that uh, Vue.js has uh, sort of been written is it's sort of the anti-Angular in that everything is modular like it is in Angular, but it's all really opt-in, and it's not all written by the Vue.js team. Okay. So instead of writing their own validation layer, someone had wrote written this really cool validation. So they just were me- recommended you use theirs. And, and you know, routing isn't included by default and going to uh, n- another library for doing that. And so there is some challenge there in, well, how do I know which one to use? And uh, Vue.js has been um, pretty pragmatic about these are, the, these are the plugins that we suggest. Right. These are the ones that, you know, so you can very easily figure out to get those, you know, those sort of behaviors, how do you get those pretty quickly? And the architecture of Vue, I mean, we haven't really talked about this at all. Is it um, just presentation only? Is there a way to separate things well? Well, the core of Vue is this very small library. and uh, um, Vue was created by uh, some ex-Angular um, team members who went off and wrote this other thing. Okay. And uh, it, for the most part, is is uh, focused on doing just the UI layer. Uh, what's interesting is they have this secondary <laughs> um, uh, sort of scheme in the way they can work um, called all-in-one view files, where they sort of do the React thing of combining it all into one file. But most people that I've talked to don't use that method. Yeah. So if you're kind of a React person that likes that mentality, you can use these all-in-one files. If you're sort of an Angular or a Knockout or Backbone person that wants to come into it, they can um, uh, use the more traditional drop the library and write markup in the HTML to get that binding done. And uh, as you need more sort of uh, uh, behavior. So uh, to sort of just describe their philosophy uh, in uh, the 2.0 version of Vue.js, they removed the HTTP stack. And uh, a lot of people were like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah. What? And the reason they did this was they were, were like, uh, 
we don't know any more than any other great library. If you want to use jQuery to do your HTTP, if you want to use one of these 14 other libraries that oh, are out there that I do see. a great job. They didn't remove it from the browser. They just don't no, no. have it in view. Yeah, okay. I'm Right. They say. had written their own, uh, uh, you know, wrapper around making network calls. Yeah, yeah. Then they were like, why are we doing this? Yeah, I agree. Right. I yeah, agree. This is, I, this is not secret sauce. Plus, right. you know, everybody has their own code that they like to use. I mean, you know, th- we have yeah. our we have our back end and we have our the code that calls the back end and usually we like to keep things in a particular way. Yeah, and and so uh I feel like it's more of this sort of opt-in. You can actually build large spa type um applications with it. They support TypeScript and they support using Webpack and all of this. But at the bottom of, of that stack, you can get back to let's drop a single um, a single library in here, create a single component, and go about our day. And the the job of doing these smaller, these enhanced web pages becomes pretty easy. Where the amount of um, overhead, the amount of just setup and getting you know an Angular app per page working mm. is huge when all you need is this little you know enhancement to a web page or multi. Uh, routed page just to do, you know, maybe a multi-page um, registration to a website or something. So you've said Webpack a couple of times, and I'm not sure people know what that is. That's sure. a, a bundler, right? Yeah, that's one of the bundlers. Uh, Browserify is sort of the other one in that same space. Yeah. Um, and both both of them, it's interesting because uh, I've always used um, bundlers or I've used gulp scripts to sort of bring all my scripts together and um, in the past, uh, but Browserify and Webpack try to do something a little bit uh, um, bigger, and that is they go through and they actually only use the lines of code you're using. So hmm. um, you could imagine uh, uh, to uh, .NET people to sort of explain it, imagine them going through the .NET framework and pulling out all the code for all, for only the method calls that you actually call, right, and then putting right. them in the assembly. Yeah, right? stub out everything you're not calling. Right. Yeah. So that can make for smaller files, but it also, uh, and for me, it makes sense when you go to production. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. But they've entered development, and so now they're doing these tricks where they're running Webpack in development and having to do these sort of watchers so that they can recompile every time you make a change. And uh, I find it frustrating because we're we're transpiling in many cases from some language like TypeScript to JavaScript, and right. Then right. from if you're using JSX or something like that, you're also doing that step of precompilation, right? And then you're asking Webpack to do all this tree shaking and and um, mm. bundling for us, and then we can uh, edit our code. And so there's these levels of complexity that we're getting away from us in JavaScript development. Hey, Sean, hang on to that thought right there while we take just a few minutes to hear a couple of words from our sponsors. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at JetBrains. Hey, how often do you profile memory usage in your .NET apps? What if you could automate memory usage checks so that they're executed every time you commit a change? You can actually do that with .MemoryUnit from JetBrains. Dot memory unit is a free unit testing framework for monitoring .NET memory usage. You write unit tests that check your code for all kinds of memory issues, 
and then run the tests on your machine or in a continuous integration server like TeamCity or VSTS, just like you do with regular unit tests. You can track how much memory is allocated, check memory for objects of a specific type to prevent memory leaks, or compare several memory snapshots in a unit test to see if memory usage is creeping up. Learn more and download .memoryunit from jetbrains.netrocks.com or just search for a package called .memoryunit on the NuGet gallery. And we're back. You're listening to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here. And we're talking with Sean Wildermuth about Vue.js and why he likes it so much and uh, why a lot of people are liking it. Uh, I don't know what the latest stats are on on uh, framework usage and switching from React to Vue or any of that, but what's your sense of how uh, popular this thing is? It's still a you know, minority player when it comes to the Reacts and the Angulars of the world. But what's interesting for me is I don't think it is a replacement for Angular or hmm. React. I think they both have their places, especially in these large application frameworks. For yeah. me, it, it is the middle place where um, some people are saying, let's just go uh, vanilla JavaScript because Angular and those are too big. And I want a little help, right? Mm-hmm. I could certainly, you know, for every new project, write everything in vanilla JS. And I understand where those guys are coming from. But I want a little leg up, you know, being able to do s- some simple things around data validation and making calls and making components. Um, and I think that's where um, um, Vue.js really shines. For me, it's it's the difference between building a JavaScript app and building a website. So when I'm building a website, a not necessarily uh, consumer-facing, but certainly internet-facing, not um, most of the pages that I write on these are about people consuming content. Right. So you. You know, blog is a good example of this, even though, you know, not everybody writes their own blog, certainly. Mm. But um, uh, this actually, let me tell you a story that it reminds me of, and that is back in the Silverlight days, there was this push by some people, I'm just going to write my whole blog in Silverlight. Right. And it it never made any sense because 90% of that blog is just pushing content out, you know, as HTML into a browser. And why would you go through all this steps and routing and all this work just to, you know, display some text? Right. And that's what I feel like we're, we're, we're getting to with Angulars. Everyone's trying to Angularize everything. If you have this sort of single-purpose, internet-facing uh, product like Twitter, maybe something like that makes sense because you don't have a lot of things going on and you want the inter- interactivity to be to be high. But lots of the websites we're making, you know, it's only on three of the 12 pages that you really need interactivity. And why are we making the other eight pages be part of some uh, spa framework? Right, right. It does seem that that Angular is so opinionated that if you use it, you're basically building your site a particular way. You just don't have a choice. That's true to some respect. Uh, I don't want to throw them completely under the bus there because you certainly can do that. But there isn't an encouragement uh, in let's build um, this library of things we can use on different pages and throw it on those. That's what I'd hoped Angular 2 would be. Um, And when I tried to do it, I realized I really had to build a whole um, Angular app for each of these 
pages that I needed some enhancement to. And that's where the frustration came in. Right. It's, it wasn't just in the tool chain, but also what do you mean I have to have let Angular take over each of these pages and then point them at, you know, separate applications that have to be compiled separately in order to get, you know, this sort of composition. Sure. Um, and that's, you know, that's what led me to Vue.js because I can sort of take as much or as little of the architecture as I want, which is something that, that, uh, uh, you know, I liked. I was one of the guys back in the day that would use Knackout and Sammy and, you know, this sort of uh, bundle of, of open source projects in order to do uh, my projects. And I liked that because if I decided I didn't like this one little piece, I could replace it with another. And I find that more difficult in the Angular React world. You're sort of buying into the, the religion um, and I have to believe the whole book. Yeah, right. sure. Because um, part of me is just wondering why, if you don't want that high impact framework, you go back to something like Knockout. Hey, I just want some data binding, right? I, I just wanted to to uh, to make cut down the amount of code I need to write to to connect my database to my application. Mm. And and that's a fair point. You know, some people are like, I'm still using Knockout. Should I be moving to Angular? Not if it's doing what you need it to do. Mm-hmm. True. The, Vue works uh, and allows me to write things more composed than Knockout did. And that's why I, I like it uh, in deference to it, especially for new projects. Certainly wouldn't rewrite everything in Vue just because you could. But the ability to, to um, write these components that are uh, some markup, some uh, uh, logic, and some CSS has merits. And... Uh, um, and if I choose that I want to go down the component path instead of the sort of knockout path, uh, Vue can do either one of them, and they're perfectly happy being in both camps. That's interesting. And it, and I also, the, the implication you've made there, too, is that it, it's more comfortable with, the, shall we say, the modern way of building web pages than knockout is, which is a few years old now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Steve Sanderson is still... Uh, doing updates and and, uh, and and adding some very interesting things to Knockout, but it is a more, you know, uh, 2013 way of building websites. You know, I hate to say four years old is old, but in web technologies, it's ancient, you know. <laughs> so right. long ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. Me and my DHTML are going to go sit in the corner now. Oh, God. You should. <laughs> yeah. Please. And think about what you've done. <laughs> I don't know why you're not still writing Java applets. <laughs> <laughs> ActiveX components? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Exactly. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to minify our .js stones as they pass through the urethra of the internet. Oh, 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 oh that's terrible. <laughs> Brought to you by Webpack. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a, a time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, 
like the virtual DOM, state controllers like Redux and all that. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free on GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Melinda Schmitz. Congratulations, Melinda. Yeah. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for Melinda. She just won the D-Experience subscription from DevExpress, a big pile of awesome from our friends over there, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. You have to sign up to win. And now it's your turn, Sean. we like to ask our guests, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Well, because I'm making a film, it would have to be a camera. I suppose uh, so. There's an amazing Blackmagic camera for 5000 Is there? Or, or I could get a used red uh, camera, which they start at fifteen k and go up to about fifty k. So... I don't have the money for those. Now, uh, do they hold on to their price? Like, because reds are, are famous, right? Like, yeah. They're kind they of a super big deal. hold on to their price. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. So I'm just wondering if you could even get one down to five grand because I'm going, I'm going on eBay right now. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have a use section on the red website. And oh, yeah. so they have, they uh, certify uh, uh, used, you know, sort of like cer- certified used cars. They do the same with their cameras. Well, and that's and, smart uh, of them to, yeah. to keep the bar that high, right? Yeah, because when you're spending that much, you don't want a camera that doesn't work. I mean, I use DSLRs to shoot the whole movie, so I'm not spending that kind of money. But yeah. uh, if I had it, I would certainly do it. Yeah. Look at these. These cameras are crazy. 8Ks, mm. the weapon. Weapon 8K. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Starting at fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> Starting, yeah, could have bought yourself a missile, but instead you bought a camera, and you weapon. might need a missile pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Holy man! Oh well, the way things are going. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you use View. I mean, uh, I, I guess what I kind of like about the some of the more popular frameworks now is that they encourage separation of presentation layer in a, a, a view model for lack of a better word uh can we how do we do that with view well you know what's the binding story and all that it's a it's about the same it uses uh uh handlebars much like angular does um and they encourage you to either have uh the markup in the actual web page or in a template file okay um again much like angular uh, uh encourages uh, and it does two-way binding uh, a little differently than Angular and a little differently than Knockout, but it's pretty close to the same idea. You're going to be using attributes to specify read, read-write, or, or you know, uh, callbacks from events. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to be building either a component or just a simple uh, object in JavaScript that is the view model, essentially. It's going to expose data. It's going to have operations. It's going to have calculated fields, et cetera. And those are going to be bound directly to it. So it, it's really, you know, it, for the Silverlight people, it's very much like uh, MVVM. For the uh, the rest of us, it's very much like MVC. 
it's that same where you're going to keep the 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 uh, um, binding in the markup and you're going to keep the um, logic in in the code. This all-in-one, these view files, these .vue files that they also support, simply have sections like a script section, uh, a, a um, CSS section, and a um, markup section. Hmm. Uh, they aren't all muddled together. It's really just a single file that they then pull these three uh, um, sections out of and then compile correctly. Um, so the people that like the idea of sort of one file that they can, you know, manage and do it all, um, they have that option as well. What if I have some components like material design components or maybe some Kendo UI controls or, or other things? Am I going to ha- run into any issues there or is it just what I think it is? Well, as long as it, ultimately what it's going to be using is markup, it doesn't care what the actual HTML is. Sure. As long as it ends up being that, you know, if if those components end up doing, you know, uh, some super weird things, I'm not sure how well they'll they'll work with them. But all the components I've used it with, I've used it with Bootstrap and I've used it with jQuery UI, hmm. and it worked fine with with those. And and you know, those are the usual models of of how that stuff works. Mm-hmm. Progressive web apps look like a no-brainer? Uh, no-brainer at all. No. Yeah, it simply just works. Mm. Um, most of the websites I've used uh, view on um, s- certainly support you know mobile and, and, and uh, uh, desktop versions. Uh, if people want to see how I used it, there, I have a good open source example at, at Core Code Camp. Um, it's at GitHub, Sean Wildermuth, Core Code Camp. And that's the, the uh, .NET Core... Code camp that we used for the Atlanta Code Camp, but we I switched that to to view this last year and got rid of the complexity of Angular and and that should be a good example because there's a number of pages that use it. It's a couple of places that use routing. Um, okay. So there's some somewhat complex pages and some fairly simple pages. So you might you you did a demonstration. You pulled that out of Angular and into View. That's kind of a cool demo. I haven't done it as a demo, which it, that wouldn't be a bad bad idea. Um, but I do have, you know, if you go back to the history, you'll see what it looked like at, at Angular on V1, and then in V2, you'll see uh, it being done in the same way with Vue, um, with a lot less code. Cool. What about performance? I mean, one of the reasons people love React is because it's so fast. And not sure what they're comparing it to, but how, what what is your take on that? You know, I don't know, because the places I use it uh, aren't, performance heavy right mm. I, I've, I've often said that react does everything really fast because uh, Facebook is in the uh, business of writing a web page that happens to have 400 little boxes that need to do the very specific things right react is the perfect solution for Facebook M- most of the applications I write that's not the case right um, and so I, I've never had I've never run into performance ceilings with really any of the other tools because I've never written those kinds of applications. I tend to end up writing websites versus web apps, mm. and because of that, I've never had the oh we have 17 levels of routing and all this messaging going on and and uh, you know the the things that really test out the performance of these frameworks. I don't think the philosophy there is to be slow or fast. Um, you know, I think you'll find it for the kinds of pages I'm suggesting, it's going to work faster than the user can type. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so at some point, 
Uh, is it faster than React? I can't imagine it is, just because of the nature of the way it's written. Uh, is it faster than Angular? I don't, I don't know either. But I don't think on the kinds of applications where you, I really suggest you use Vue, mm. that perf is the issue. Yeah, you're probably yeah. right. I'm pulling up a, a blog post from Evan Yu, the lead developer and the creator uh, of uh, Vue.js, from November 2015. So this is two years old. And um, he compares the performance. And, oh, nice. Yeah. He says, for any type of in-place data mutations, Vue outperforms React. Um, when replacing the entire state with fresh objects, you'll have to spend extra work converting these new objects to be reactive, but comparable performance. I just got to think after two years, all that data has changed. You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. It's too long, right? These frameworks move so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And two years ago, I think would have been the, the 1.0 anyway, and they did a pretty major rewrite for 2.0. Which seems to be the normal pattern, right? It, stuff yeah. People grab onto your product and start really playing with it. Uh, you, it changes. It's a, you know, there's a big impact there. And you learn what, you know, that your assumptions were wrong. And yeah, because they always are. What about Meteor? Have you played with that? I have not. I have not. It was one of the frameworks to look at, and I, I ran out of time at some point. We're definitely, <laughs> that's on our list of people to talk to. So many frameworks. Mm. <laughs> but not as bad as it used to be. It does seem to have settled down out there to some degree. Maybe. It does. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the big story for me, because I get asked a lot, what should I be using? What should I be using? Yeah, right. yeah. And uh, I, I wrote a blog post a, a while back about this. And I said, you know, just pick one. Write it hard until you know what's wrong with it. And either then you know how to work around the problems or you have enough information to decide hmm. maybe I should make a change here, here or there. But, you know, our business is about trial and error and that me and that includes uh you know picking a framework all of these frameworks are going to be able to do what you want are they going to fit in with your skill set of your uh, uh team is it going to uh fit into the exact sort of thing you're trying to do maybe you're doing less data uh collection and more you know sort of trying to send out real-time data you're gonna have to find the one that matches it best and and pretending that there is a best one for all scenarios is silly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think part of, part of that is a diversity of the scenarios. Like you're talking about, if you view to me, doesn't strike me as the first frame I want to go to. If I want to build a spa, that yeah. it, that right. it's, it, there are more frameworks and more savvy to that. So there's sort of these blocks of use cases where it's like, yeah, this is probably the direction you want to go in versus this direction you want to go in. In some ways I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's the message you seem to be sending is like, this is more of a middle of the road. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to pick one right way here. And for web developers, I think they really have to start thinking about their skill set as being a toolbox. You know, Angular might be the hammer and uh, Vue.js might be the screwdriver and React might be the T-square. I don't know. I ran out of tools there at the end of the... <laughs> the pliers? <laughs> Help yeah. me, my metaphor is breaking down. It is. <laughs> But, the, you know, you may need to learn a little of all three to figure out which is the right for your project or as you move from project to project, the, the thing that makes the most sense might be different. Well, and one of the points you made early on was this folks get sort of comfortable with Angular and then just start ramming every page they build down the Angular pipeline, mm, whether right. it makes sense or not. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that's the that's the fallacy in all of this. 
Um, but when I used to be more into databases and people would ask me about ORMs, which ORM is the best and which one should I use? I it took I actually had to try to write one before I realized, oh, everything's a compromise. Software, yeah. everything's a compromise. And so finding the one that fits best for you, that's the job. Yeah. What are the yeah. compromises you're willing to live with? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and also that you know about, right? I've, I've, often, yeah. I've said on more than one occasion, it's like every piece of software has ugliness. The question is, do you know where your ugly is? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you use the view router? I do, uh, but only on the pages that need the router. Well, tell us about that. I guess that's their standard router, but you can use your own routing, of course. Yeah, there's a couple of other open source routers, but it's a simple pattern-based router, you know, much like everyone else has. It's become sort of, you know, uh, uh, the simple philosophy. Uh, and it works where you're really uh, mapping a pattern, which may include parameters into a component that can accept those parameters yeah. and then show whatever that markup is. Mm. It, it's it, it works really well. I use, uh, for validation, I use a library called uh, View Validation. I'm sorry, V Validation, V-E-E, which confused me at first. Oh. Um, validation. Um, all the all the markup uh, pieces in view start with V dash, so that's why they called it right V validation. So they um, may all be contractors for Microsoft. <laughs> oh, exactly. Did I say that <laughs> you did. You There's did. an insider joke for you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, talking baseball. There you go. Um, Sorry, I completely derailed the conversation, but I I do like this this idea that you just use it where you need it. Yeah, and that you know there's. This ecosystem, you know, I've been using Axiom for the HTTP. Once I started using it, I was like, oh, I'm never going to go back to, uh, you know, these other um, um, frameworks are definitely not jQuery for calling Ajax calls. Ajax is still one of my favorite acronyms because it's uh, hasn't been XML in such a long time. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> JavaScript. No, def definitely a better way to go. Uh, I mean, they do talk about components in view but again not a prerequisite if you want to build them you can use them like it's just that approach to sort of modulizing everything that describes a piece of a page yes and so the idea here is let's say i'm doing a contact page i could do a component for that contact page or i could just write a simple view model to get that job done right uh but then if i have you know a, a weight cursor or even a whole form that i need to put in like a you know the login form that i need in 17 different places let's build that as a component and then i can i get that reuse but right. i'm not forced down that path like i am certainly with angular hmm. 2 of everything ends up being a component right. not that there's a lot of heft to that but sometimes uh, the ceremony of 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 the composition is more work that I actually have to write. Well, I kind of like backing into components too, that you build something in a view model way and then realize, oh, we're going to reuse this a couple of times or we want consistency in styling around it. And so end up, or, you know, when it passes someone else, makes sense to package it up as a component. Yeah. And the difference between them is not a lot. Uh, right. uh, it's really how you, how you construct the object, whether you just construct a simple JavaScript object or whether you construct a, a new component mm -hmm. with a magic component name. I mean, so even refactoring from the simple to the component isn't that much work. Yeah, no, it sounds, yeah. It sounds very comfortable. Like, we, we always look for these pendulum swings, and it seems like this one's striking kind of in the middle right now. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, and that's you know that's really what I was looking for when when I was searching it out was I wanted something that when I didn't want all the ceremony of precompilers and you know um, you know it may be that in the beginning I can start small and scale up with it. I don't have to start big, which is the way that uh, certainly uh, Angular and to some respects React feel to me is that there's there's a commitment to just getting Hello World working. Yeah. Right. Uh, what about mix-ins? These are sort of component-ish, aren't they? What is a mix-in? So a mix-in is adding behavior to a component. So uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit like uh, a component, but it's not um, – you're mixing it into uh, – um, elements to add some behavior so uh mix-ins uh can be used for things like like logging or error handling where you have the same sort of um behavior in a component but you're not really defining a ui Mm. um and logic layer in that traditional sense all right so maybe like an animation or something that you want to reuse yeah yeah that's a good example i haven't done a lot with mix-ins so uh I may be talking out of the side, well, side it, of my mouth. A it seems to it, me that that's kind of the logical extension of a of a component, especially if you want to reuse something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Microsoft has jumped on board recently to make sure that TypeScript and Vue work really well together. Okay. Because um, there were it was a little patchy um, uh, until recently uh, working with TypeScript. Because I know there's a lot of TypeScript fans here that mm-hmm. want to use it in in every case. I'm. I'm a little on the fence. Once when when I'm doing simple things, TypeScript doesn't give me a lot because I don't care as much about type safety when there's when there's only 80 lines of code. Um, but uh, for larger applications or moving to that, uh, being able to scale up, like we've talked about, mm. into using uh, something more robust like TypeScript certainly is helpful. Is there a, a flux-like state management thing in view? There is again. It's opted in, and I haven't used it. Okay. So uh, I can't speak a lot to it, but I know a lot of people coming from the coming from the React world have been using it, and it is written by the same uh, by the Vue team itself. So oh, cool! You, it's not just an official plugin. It's actually uh, you know this wow. idea that sometimes you want the React like, which is just you know markup and logic, and then you you know want the Flux style larger reactive programming mm. that you can opt into that as you want to, but I haven't done anything with it. So I don't want to sure, pretend yeah. that, uh, that I've gone down that road. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's worth, uh, worth messing around. And I know if you go to uh org, there's just some getting started fiddles that you can do right away. It doesn't seem like there's a barrier to entry here. No, and the, the documentation is pretty well written. I, I didn't get lost too fast. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of useful. Hey, before we sneak away, I, I did want to make a call back to the comment there uh, on this idea that maybe you could use something like Already as a sample app in a Pluralsight video. What, any thoughts? Well, it depends on on, on the course, of course. Well, that didn't sound right. Look at you <laughs> being alliterative and things. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think we think can do some Mr. Ed references now, right? A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> Wilbur. Oh, Wilbur. Oh, sorry. I stepped on your Wilbur. <laughs> we Wilbered simultaneously. Oh, my goodness. Uh, 
so I, I like the idea a lot. Uh, the courses that I've been teaching lately have been these end-to-end courses. Right. And so unless mm-hmm. I was going to rewrite uh, already from scratch in front of people, it doesn't make as much sense for some of my courses. But I could see uh, uh, like doing a Bootstrap 4 course by going to Already and converting their all of their stuff uh, from three to four as a, uh, you know, as an exercise in how to do the upgrade. Right. Um, things like that. One of the challenges you've got now is I think there's a, there, there are multiple check-ins to already every day. Every so, day. Yeah. You, you know, I know how long writing a chunk of curriculum takes, like with the project perpetually moving under you, it might be really challenging to make it make sense. You kind of have to have control of it if you want to tell a story around it for teaching purposes. And that, that that is true to to some extent. Um, but we, I could, you could always pin yourself also to a branch. Yeah. Um, that, you know, at some point already could decide to come back into or, or whatever the thing is. So there are ways to certainly manage that, that level of change. It's got to be really tough to pick sufficiently complicated to be real, not so complicated to be lost. Hmm. And yeah. re- feature rich enough that you sh- show everything people need to know around attack. Yeah, that is the challenge. You know, I uh, when I did my ASP.NET Core course, um, I had this sort of idea of this website that I thought would be a little bit more complex to do it with, and um, so I had this map that I would draw, and, and what what I ended up doing was spending probably a little too much time getting this map to work. Uh, for the students instead of actually teaching them things about ASP.NET Core. Yeah. And a lot of the questions came to, you know, Google changed their API in the middle of the course being written and, and yeah. other problems. So yeah. in the rewrite to that course for ASP.NET Core 2, I decided to uh, make the data model more complex, but the UI less complex to try to sort of combat that. Um, try to make something a little bit more real, mm. but not... You know, I think I went for the map because it certainly made the demo like this is where you'll end up look really cool because right. you know, the giant map and you had drawn, you know, your trip uh, across the country on it and that sort of thing. <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> I don't Who does know. That? That's just crazy, Doc. Sean, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think is really important before we hang up here? Well, I would love to plug uh, uh, November 1st, uh, the Kickstarter for the Hello World film will be coming out. And nice. uh, love to share that with your uh, with your audience. Uh, Very cool. You can help me uh, make the film better. And tell, if you have a story to tell that you think would be important in the movie, please let me know. You can see all about the film at helloworldfilm.com. I got that link. That's about six days from after the show publishes. So. Perfect. Like yeah. that wasn't an accident. Yeah, or really. Anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, man. Good luck passing that stone. Thank you. I thank you. I, f- I could say I feel for you, but I'm really trying not to. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Thank you, Sean. Always a pleasure. Awesome. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios. 
a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Transmit a band by the FCC.